We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Well, good morning. It is Thursday, which uh, is kind of the beginning of our week here (laughs) on Jenna Ellis in the morning because uh, we have been playing the best of for the last three days along with some uh, of the other shows here at AFR because uh, Tupelo, Mississippi, where our uh, great program directors and producers are, uh, have been hit by winter weather. So to keep everyone safe, we uh, have had to uh, air the best of, which hopefully all of you have enjoyed on. On your daily commute uh, to, as Abraham Hamilton III says, your part-time jobs, and I love how he frames that. Uh, or if you are staying at home with your kids and you're listening, or uh, whatever you are doing in your family and uh, church life and also civil society, and have been listening to us. Hopefully you've enjoyed that, but it's really great to be back on the air this morning. And of course, this is coming uh, several days after the Iowa caucus results on Monday night, and and I was on uh, Pastor Jeff Shreve's show, um, for those of you who, um, we appreciate you, who just listen through uh, AFR for a lot of the shows or most of the morning or um, you know into the afternoon and evening. But I was on his show yesterday uh, just talking uh, pretty bluntly, honestly, about uh, my opinion uh, of the caucus results, what this portends uh, for the 2024 general election and also the primary. And um, and I kind of wanted to break it down this morning in this first segment. And um, for those of you who uh, who are still kind of looking at Iowa and um, and wondering, OK, what's what's what lies ahead. And of course, the results there uh, were that Donald Trump did win a historic victory with 51% of uh, the delegates. And so ultimately, it was 20 delegates. Ron DeSantis placed second with nine, then Nikki Haley with eight and uh, and 19.1%. And um, Vivek Ramaswamy was fourth. He obtained three delegates. Uh, Vivek, shortly after that, into the evening, dropped out. And during his uh, his his uh, speech or his sort of concession speech, he endorsed uh, former President Donald Trump and has now been over the last couple of days campaigning with Trump, um, which I think was foreseeable because uh, Vivek has has always said um, to his credit, he's been consistent that he believed that it was either him or Trump that uh, were the two America first candidates. And so that's no surprise, really. And uh, what's going to be interesting to me is uh, to see how long both Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis stay in the primary. Um, Because I think with this wide of a lead, um, 
happened. And the polls were, you know, fairly accurate. I mean, Trump didn't win by the 40, 50, 60 percent that some polls had estimated, but it was a historic win. And and we should recognize that. And that 51 percent of the the, uh, caucus goers uh, wanted Donald Trump, even though there was a um, a kind of a suppression in terms of the uh, the people who participated due to weather in Iowa, and also the mainstream media, not even 15 minutes after the caucuses were supposed to begin, and a lot of caucuses delayed the beginning of their voting because a number of people who were coming into caucus were changing their voter registration, uh, coming in, and, and, and a number of precincts said that they wanted to wait until everyone who was eligible could come in, give their speeches, and then vote. Uh, the mainstream media started already calling this for Donald Trump. And we remember from the 2020 election, right, that media has absolutely nothing to do with the process. This is just a projection for them. And uh, and of course, the media can project all they want. I mean, I can project all I want. I can say what I think um, in terms of um, the caucus results. I could have been uh, live streaming this and saying, oh, I think it's over already. And I, you know, I'm declaring uh, Trump the winner. I'm, I'm declaring DeSantis the winner, right? And that, that has absolutely nothing to do with the end result. Um, But for so many of the mainstream media outlets that called this very, very early, um, a lot of people were very upset by that. And I think rightly so in terms of ethics, because uh, people have smartphones. And if you are a caucus goer and you are seeing that the race is already called, that could potentially either impact uh, your your thought of of even staying and participating and thinking, okay, I'm out in um, really cold weather. I might as well just turn around and go home. You may end up changing your vote. It can influence the outcome of an election. Um, So, of course, I don't think that this is um, necessarily something that anyone should be litigating over. Um, I disagree with some of the people who, you know, said this is election interference. Um, I think that it was irresponsible and unethical of media to do this because you should wait until uh, the results come in and with you know 3% of the vote in and you're already calling this based on the polls that can potentially influence um, some of the people who are who haven't yet cast their vote and this is why it's very different when it's a caucus versus when the polls close and nobody is going to vote after that then if there's only you know, 5% in and the media wants to project all they want. Okay, well, that's not going to actually influence anything because everybody's already voted. So um, so I was disappointed, um, but not really surprised in mainstream media for doing that. I do think that um, the, the Democrats want Donald Trump to be the nominee um, because they believe, and unfortunately I agree with them, that uh, Donald Trump will not win a general election against Joe Biden. And um, for those of you who, who listen, I know that this is a very divisive issue, and that is really unfortunate um, that it is such a divisive issue because this is a primary A lot of people support Donald Trump, would love to see him uh, have a second term. I think he would absolutely be better than any Democrat. Um, But I have been very clear and upfront that I don't personally believe that he is the best candidate that conservatives can put up for 2024. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And part of um, the reason for that, I think, is actually reflected in the percentage that Donald Trump won, because he ended up with 51 percent of the vote. 
in 2020 when he was actually the incumbent, and this is an open primary, and this is why it was a historic record 30-point margin, because it genuinely, for 2024, is an open primary, as much as the Trump campaign has said, well, he's the incumbent, he's the, uh, the obvious nominee, it really is an open primary. Um, so in 2020, when he was the genuine incumbent, he won Iowa by 97%. So 51% shows that 49% of GOP caucus goers in Iowa, for those that turned out, so those who actually voted and were actually engaged in the process, not just you know picked up a survey or answered a poll, but actual voters, 49% wanted someone other than Donald Trump. So I think it's going to be very interesting moving forward to see whether or not that percentage goes up in New Hampshire um, and into South Carolina. And certainly if Nikki Haley and or Ron DeSantis do drop out, then of course that percentage is going to go up. Uh, But in terms of how many people will choose in a general election someone other than Trump is the concern. And there are a lot of people, uh, myself included, that would like to see a third party candidate alternative if we are in a situation of a repeat of Trump versus Biden. And the reason that I say that is because I genuinely don't think that a that Donald Trump can win a general election, like I've said, for um, for a wide variety of reasons, but mainly because for, for two reasons. One, I think that moderates, independents and conservative uh, GOP voters that begrudgingly in 2016 said, OK, fine, uh, Trump is better than Hillary. I'm going to go ahead and vote and voted for him again in 2020, are not going to vote for him again in 2024. And they've said that openly. And if that's even 10, 20% of the GOP base, not to mention the independents and the moderates, then there is no way that Trump wins an election. And that's concerning. And there has not been a good case from Trump. And this is why, as much as it may have been a good call for him to not debate in the primary, I think this actually hurts him going into the general election because he was not able to be on stage with fellow Republicans and answer questions that are genuinely concerning to voters, like about his record on the COVID uh, response that a lot of people are rightly concerned about, why he didn't fire Fauci, uh, what his perspectives are on now the the pro-life issue, because he has um, specifically said that, that Governor DeSantis... Um, made a bad decision in signing the heartbeat bill. I mean, some of these things that are values-based voter issues are now we're going into probably a general. And I think that unless something absolutely unforeseen happens, I don't think that anyone other than Trump is going to be the GOP nominee. I think that that was very clear from Iowa. So I'm not going to be one of those that says, oh, I think that there's a pathway now for Ron DeSantis and he's going to rally in New Hampshire. And I mean, his campaign has already moved on to South Carolina. So um, so I think that it's fine that he's staying in this um, because there could be some unforeseen issue. I mean, let's face reality. Um, Donald Trump is 77. Um, there there could be potential issues with his age. There could be potential, you know, all kinds of things, right? And so it's not over till it's over. But unless something, you know, really out of the box happens um, that Trump would have to withdraw for whatever reason, I don't see a natural process pathway for anyone other than Trump. So looking at the general election, 
Trump is going to have to answer those things. Um, even for someone like me, who uh, in 2016, all of you know this, um, I supported Ted Cruz. Um, I was very skeptical of Donald Trump. And then when he won the nomination and made that case for America First, he won me over. And I said, OK, I'm going to give this guy a chance. I'm going to support him. I'm not going to be one of those people who was the never Trumpers and all of that. And with a lot of what he did in his administration, um, especially with his Supreme Court picks, all of that, I was very proud to support him. When he called me, I, I was happy um, initially to, I was hired to be on the legal team for the, the first impeachment um, that was successful, by the way. And, um, you know, and it was a great uh, team with, you know, Jay Sekulow, Pat Cipollone, um, you know, all of those great people. Um, and then continue to work for him and, until um, my conclusion of representation a few days before he left office. Um, all of that was great. But as a voter now, um, and as a Christian conservative, he is going to, and his campaign, is going to have to make the case to me as a voter why I should believe that he will do better on some of the things that were very concerning in the first administration, like a lot of his hiring decisions. I mean, hiring, endorsing, and in his endorsement as well. Um, and the COVID response and some of these things where obviously he would do better than Joe Biden. And and elections are always about choosing the best possible option. But he's going to have to make the case to me that unlike in 2016, when conservative Christian evangelicals, by and large, rallied for him and chose to not go a third party candidate alternative, he's going to have to convince me. And I think a lot of other Christian conservatives who were conservatives well before Trump ever came down that escalator and decided to run. And, you know, the last eight years, we, we have all been in politics and philosophy of conservatism and advocating for our government well before the era of Trump. He's going to have to convince us why a third party alternative would not be better in terms of our vote and possibly even a, a better potential for the general election and a better potential pathway. Because I think there are a lot of people on the Democrat side, even friends of mine, and yes, I have friends who are Democrats, who call themselves true blue voters. I mean, they were Democrats before you know, the era of Joe Biden's presidency or Obama. And they think that the Democrat Party is far off the rails to the left. And they want an alternative. They're not going to vote for Trump, but they would vote for a moderate third party alternative. Um, RFK is a potential consideration uh, for a lot of moderates and independents. Could he draw enough people from and voters from Biden and from Trump to potentially win? That's that's a potential. Uh, will a third party conservative like what was contemplated in 2016 that didn't happen? Will a conservative step up? And is that something that we as conservative Christian voters genuinely should consider? Well. I'm always a issues-based voter, and even though I do not regret for a second personally endorsing Ron DeSantis, I think he's absolutely a phenomenal governor, phenomenal conservative. Um, you know, he didn't—he isn't going to get the nomination, barring you know asterisk, right? But um, we have to move forward, and we have to make the best decision, looking at the issues, not looking at personality politics. So it's going to be really interesting seeing what happens, and we're going to continue to talk about this and the issues and why Christian conservatives need to remain involved and make the best decisions in civil government. We'll be right back with more.
last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. When Charlotte found out she was pregnant, she was seven weeks along. In the back of her mind, she thought abortion was the best solution. But after hearing her baby's heartbeat and seeing her beautiful baby on an ultrasound, she chose life. Her heart is filled with gratitude for all of you who made this possible. Each of these babies are truly miraculous, and every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles the baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we are in the first live show of the week. And I know this is already Thursday, uh, but due to the weather in Tupelo, so very happy to be back on the air. And uh, so that means that we have not had a chance to talk about the Iowa caucus results. And so I gave you some of my thoughts in the first segment, but now I want to welcome in our good friend Steve Dace, who is a part of Blaze TV and has an amazing show there with Christian Conservative Analysis. And I always appreciate when he makes time to come on and give us his thoughts because uh, this is always bigger than politics, it's bigger than any one person, one campaign. Uh, this is always ultimately about speaking the truth of the gospel of Christ and pointing toward eternity in heaven with Christ. Um, so, Steve, thanks so much for coming on. And first, I want to get your reaction overall to Iowa uh, and what you think. I think that um, obviously it was a dominant uh, sweeping victory for the former president, Jenna, and uh, him and his team deserve credit for that. No question about it. I also think if you're looking ahead to 292 days from today, there are some very, very ominous signs within uh, those uh, within those numbers that, you know, right now, um, since the election is on, everybody kind of retreats to their silos um, and and goes to get confirmation more than information. You know, my my team's going to win kind of a thing. And then. You know, it usually means uh, after one team loses in the off season that they're actually willing to listen to reason. Um, but um, if, if you're concerned, ultimately you realize the goal is November 5th. There's 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 three things inside those uh, what happened in Iowa that I, w- I would be very concerned about moving forward if you want to talk about those. Yeah, absolutely. And some of that, um, you know, I, I would share and I, could, I can probably predict a little bit what you're going to say in terms of the general election. So, yeah, go ahead, Steve. So I, I think, you know, the, the Iowa poll actually got Trump's percentage uh, almost exactly right. Um, and yet that same Iowa poll that predicted how he was going to do in the caucus has found that only 48 percent of Iowa Republicans identified as MAGA. The reason that matters is that 78 percent of Republicans who voted Monday night in the caucuses identified as MAGA. All right. So so that that's very important with what I'm about to say next. There, there was an oversampling of MAGA. They turned out in the weather. Obviously, he had the most devoted following and they were willing to come out and brave those conditions and dominate. And so, hey, it's the old JFK line. History is won by those who show up. And they did. But keep this in mind. Even with 78 percent 
of those calling themselves MAGA uh, being an Iowa caucus voter. Almost one-third of those voters said they would not vote for Trump if he were a convicted felon. And that, that's, going to be about as mo- that's going to be about as high of a MAGA sample of a, of a, of a real-time vote uh, in a contested race as you're probably going to see this entire cycle. So, I mean, that, that, is, that is something, if I'm a Democrat operative, I was gleeful to see that, gleeful to see that. That fits right into everything I've laid out, every trap I have, everything I have planned. I've got him indicted on 91 counts. I just need one. I just need to go one for 91, Jed. And you know, as a lawyer, most lawyers can go one for 91. Okay. So that's, uh, that's, 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 I think, very ominous. The other thing very ominous for the general election is though Trump got 51% across the state in, 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 in the suburbs in Iowa, he got 41%. Now, our state is one of the few, you know, your state, uh, Mississippi, where AFA is, would be another where there is enough critical mass of population in rural areas still that you can overcome um, urban areas. But, but that doesn't exist in Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, um, Michigan, Wisconsin, the states that are going to decide this thing in 292 days. Um, and, and the loss in the suburbs has been the problem for Republicans since 2016. In 2016, Trump was able to hold on to the GOP's traditional suburban base while adding rural voters. And that's why he won. Since then, the Republican Party has lost suburban voters in every meaningful, in every election cycle. And, and so, again, here we are seeing, in a dominant win, the president uh, demonstrating a weakness with suburban voters yet again. He is, he's going to have to broaden his appeal, not his message. All right, everybody, every, look at, everybody knows the country was better off when he was president. The problem with this is that in the suburbs like where I live, people are still very well off. Yeah, you know, they don't want to pay $5 for a carton of eggs, but they can afford it. And so as long as they're not suffering enough, then they, then they will afford themselves the luxury of voting thing, on things like mean tweets, like we saw in the midterms, uh, voting on things like, I, I don't like the way he behaves or acts, because they're not suffering enough yet in the suburbs. And, and this is where elections get decided. Republicans don't win urban areas anywhere. Democrats don't win rural areas anywhere. The battleground is in the suburbs. And so there was weakness in those suburban numbers for Trump on Monday night that looks, that looks very similar uh, to, to what you see across the board uh, in the last several election cycles. And then finally, we had almost a 10-point drop in white evangelical turnout in Iowa from 2016. Can attribute some of that to the weather. Frankly, can attribute some of that to um, you are watching the church erode like sinking sand in America in real time. You know, there's just not as many evangelicals. But, uh, I mean, that's, that doesn't account for 10 points. And there's just no way. I mean, the Republicans could nominate any live being and, and, and they're not winning a national election with depressed white evangelical turnout like that. So if I'm a Democrat operative and I always try to see things the way my opponents and enemies do, because I want to beat them. So I don't want to pump my own sunshine. I don't want to smell my own fat flatulence. I want to beat my enemies. So I don't want Kool-Aid. I want I want I, I like acid shots. I want to win. If I am a if I'm an if I'm you know an, an analyst with the DNC or whatever corpse they decide to nominate and put up you know, later this year, 
I'm probably pretty gleeful at these numbers. All right, he barely got 50% in a state that um, is 97% white and rural. There was only one other candidate who had a turnout operation at all. White evangelical turnout depressed. Suburban numbers were down. That's what they're saying to themselves, okay? Whether that's true or not, but that's what your enemies are thinking. And I think you'd be wise to know what your enemies are thinking. So, Steve, I agree with your analysis, and and I think it's going to be a very difficult road for Donald Trump um, if he does become the nominee, and I think that's almost inevitable at this point. Um, And so could he choose a vice president pick that will help with suburban America or with evangelical voters like with Mike Pence. I mean, when he in 2016, the reason he chose Mike Pence, and I think it was a good choice at the time, was to try to secure the evangelical vote. Can he do something like that heading into 2024 that would be meaningful? I think it's harder because you're dealing with people that are not in your native base. You know, choosing choosing Mike Pence gives confidence to people who are predisposed to vote for you. Um, and in this case, you're, you're, you're dealing with people who are not. Um, then there's, and you would know this better than me, having you know, worked with him, for, for what you're proposing to work, you'd essentially have to free that person up to be independent of you almost as a candidate. Basically, what, it, what, what, Sarah, what the John McCain campaign should have let Sarah Palin do back in the day. And then the minute they did it and she started accumulating kind of her own brand, they reined her in because she wasn't the nominee. You know, I, I, Donald Trump strikes me as some that uh, it tri- strikes me as a, um, as a as a jealous patriarch, not eager to share his glory with another. I'm 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 not sure that that it's within that kind of their thing, his thing to say, you know, I'll just I'll just give you a name, just hypothetically. Hey, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, all right? You're someone I can nominate uh, that might help me appeal to suburban women, but doesn't help doesn't risk any form of a rift at all in my MAGA base like a Nikki Haley would. So I'm going to choose you, and all you're going to do is just go out basically and run a, your own shadow campaign um, in, in suburban areas, in key swing states all over the country, and essentially act as, your own, as, as a presidential candidate yourself. I mean, I think that's a brilliant strategy, actually. I'm just not entirely sure that is something you know, Donald Trump signs off on. I mean, that, that, that's outside of his normal character to give somebody else that level of limelight. You might know that better than me, but, you know, just well, there, there was a line. I don't see it. Yeah. You know, there was there was a, a line that so many of us on uh, the campaign side uh, with working with Trump and even within the administration would always say is the number one rule is that you can't overshadow the boss. And that's just true. I mean, and that's the way that he wants it. And Mike Pence was basically just a spokesperson for Trump. mm -hmm. That's that's exactly everybody that he wants. So I would agree with that, that even if that were the best way to move forward, that's really not within his his wheelhouse or his his arsenal or uh, his M.O. And um, and so so in because I only have about seven more minutes with you, um, Steve. Steve Dace. So let's talk about, though, um, Ron DeSantis, because you and I have both endorsed him. Um, Obviously, he did not do as well as you and I hoped in Iowa. He has not yet withdrawn. Um, I think there were a lot of significant problems with his campaign, chief among them. Two things. He did not uh, do enough media to overcome how Donald Trump portrayed him. And when you let your opposition define you, it's very difficult to come back from that. 
And second, I think he ran a campaign that seemed like it was not meeting the moment. Um, to have the contrast between Donald Trump's mugshot and Ron DeSantis playing softball with his son seemed to be like he's just not meeting what a lot of these conservatives genuinely fear, which is the weaponization of government against conservatives. And they see Donald Trump, um, right or wrong, as as the tip of that spear. So where do you think he goes from here? Is Is there a reason why he should stay in still at this point in your mind? Well, let, let me address, if you could, if you don't mind, let me address your the criticisms you have first, if you don't, if you don't sure. mind. I think your analysis is good. I just don't think it mattered. Um, you know, I, I'm not shy about airing my opinions, as you know. I, I worked for the Cruz campaign in 2016, and if I disagreed with what we did, I just told my audience on the show I don't agree with that strategy. I mean, I, I, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, my number one loyalty is to the Lord and to the audience to tell them what I Amen. think. Amen. So but, but that. here's the reason why you, you still to this day have not really caught me even it, it, expressing public criticisms of the DeSantis campaign or strategy when I've, I've shared some of them privately. The last, and some of them are in alignment with what you just said. I don't think any of it matters. I think I think I can point to if there's any criticism at all that I would hear publicly is that knowing what we know now, maybe don't run because on March 30th, the, the real clear politics national polling average, I believe, was 40 to 32 Trump DeSantis. A week later, it was like 52 to 28. Now, Ron DeSantis wouldn't even be a candidate for two more months. What changed? On August 31st, Alvin Bragg indicted Donald Trump. The, 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 the normal complexities and nuances. See, I, Jenna, with all due respect, I don't even think most of, of, of our voters even saw a video of Ron DeSantis playing softball with his son. All they have seen is Trump indicted, Trump persecuted. They can't do this to him. That's been the number one gravitational pull. If he would have, if he had resurrected, if he would have, like King Saul, going to the Witch of Endor, gone to the spirit of Lee Atwater, and conjured up the perfect message and attack on Donald Trump, I think it would have landed nowhere. Because I think that the gravitational pull of this, of this particular timeline is that what happened at the end of Trump's presidency wasn't right. What happened in the entirety of it wasn't right. And we have to finish the race with him. And I think that explains why DeSantis's top line poll numbers were never very good, but his favorables remain very high. The, 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 the sort of Twitter, Jack Posobiec, you know, uh, you know, mythology, we destroyed DeSantis. That's just all Twitter BS that's not real. I think it just comes down to most of our people have made a decision that it's not time to turn the page yet, but we have to see it through with Donald Trump. And I, I don't think it's any more complicated than that. And I don't I don't think any message or any code could have been a crack that could have changed that. That's really what I think. And and that makes a lot of sense. And so how does that in your mind uh, jive with the poll that you cited earlier to say that if Trump is convicted at all, that a lot of people won't vote for him then? I mean, would they at that point say, okay, we're, we're not seeing this through? Or how do you reconcile those two data points? I think on Election Day, that number is not 30 percent of Republicans don't vote for him, but it doesn't have to be. What if it's three? What if it's four? What if it's five? Because you're going to have RFK Jr. in the race. I mean, right now he is polling better than Ross Perot, 1992, when he got 19 yep. percent. 
I mean, I, yeah. I, I think you probably saw your last presidential debate between Haley and DeSantis. Democrats are going to say they're not going to risk rolling Joe Biden out there to glitch on, in front of 100 million people. They're going to say, hey, Trump, you didn't debate your combatants, and we're not debating an insurrectionist. And then both parties aren't going to want RFK Jr. on the stand because it's make, going to make both their guys look bad in some places. So I think you probably saw your last debate. I think you'll see a, a largely basement campaign from both sides once we get to the general. I think that you, you won't see anything close to the rally schedule Trump kept. And I think you'll barely see Joe Biden. Um, and, and, and you're going to see one side fight a legal defense fund while the other side is blitzkrieging them. It's going to kind of be the opposite of what you just described Trump did to DeSantis. When we get into these spring and summer months and Trump is fighting for his life in these courts with all these proceedings that are lined up, they are going they're going to be they're going to unleash what they have been sitting on. Just literally a half a billion dollars that they're going to unleash in TV ads while he is, you know, essentially turning the Republican Party into a legal defense fund. That's what's going to happen next. So then, uh, Steve Dace, you know, and th- this really paints a very grim picture, which I think is exactly why you and I both supported Ron DeSantis, yeah. who doesn't I mean, have I, any I, I of those concerns. The reasons, I think people need to know the reasons why people like you and I risked our followings and everything else. Because yes. we did the math of, of this. We looked ahead to how this was all going to turn out. And hey, let's both be honest. If we didn't have a candidate as strong as Ron DeSantis, we'd probably bite the bullet and ride the lightning one more time. Right. But we did. We had an alternative who proved he could actually act on Trump's agenda in ways he proved he could not. And so without that alternative, we'd probably be today in the same boat of many of our colleagues. But, 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 but because we had that alternative, we did the math a lot of other people weren't willing to do. But this is playing, if, if I am whoever is the mastermind, whoever's running the country truly right now, everything, they're, they're feeling like Emperor Palpatine right now. Everything is proceeding exactly as I have foreseen it. All the levers are falling into place. They are gleeful right now. That doesn't mean there's not a God. That doesn't mean there's not organic events that change things. But so far, this is proceeding exactly the way the bad guys want it to. So in the last two minutes I have with you, Steve Dace, where do we go from here as Christian conservatives? Do we, in your mind, fall behind Trump? Do we look at a third-party conservative alternative that may rise? I think everybody should, should, number one, understand what is happening here is real spiritual warfare. We're, we're dealing with forces that go beyond natural laws and, and things of that nature, and that requires spiritual weaponry. And I, I think, you know, simple things, like right now our church is doing a 21-day fast and pray. Simple things, you know, there's plenty of time to wrestle with all of this in, in the months to come. For right now, I would be my counsel would be to my fellow believers is to is to spiritually prepare yourselves for for what is going to unfold this year and to see things as they really are, not necessarily what you are being fed or even more so what you want them to be. Yeah, really, really solid advice. And I think um, a very sober analysis, uh, Steve, because you're absolutely right that it would have been easier, frankly, for people like you and I to just go along with the rah, rah, let's, you know, do this. We are so back, all of these other things. But that would not be serving um, any of our listeners well. And primarily, that would not be serving our Lord and Savior well to just kind of brush aside all of these very concerning points. So I always appreciate you, um, Steve Dace. Um, Thank you so much. And stand strong, my friend. We all need to pray for this nation, for the future of our country, and really consider uh, what we're going to do in 2024. We'll be right back here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. 
If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost-sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advanced Advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And as a lot of our listeners know, uh, we here at AFR are partners with Preborn, which is um, a wonderful, wonderful organization. And I am so privileged this morning um, to have uh, Roxy Lamorgis, I hope I am pronouncing that correctly, who is the executive director of Preborn, where she manages a team of 75 passionate pro-life individuals and um, this is an amazing organization, Roxy, and I'm so excited uh, to have you on the program to talk more about what Preborn does and how our listeners can support your pro-life mission. So good morning, and thanks so much for being with me. Good morning, Jenna. Thank you for having us, and thank you for all your listeners through the years of many, many ultrasounds underwritten um, to help save babies across the nation. Thank you. Yeah, and this is such an important uh, issue, and I know is one uh, near and dear to the hearts of of all Christian conservatives um, who care about the first uh, sacred right that all human beings made in the image of God have, which is the right to life. And so there have been so many different testimonials that uh, we have aired, and and I and I would uh, love for you to just go through a couple of these to explain, you know, uh, for maybe a, a first-time listener, what Preborn's mission is for pro-life and how this has truly changed um, the hearts of of mothers who choose to save their babies after seeing their heartbeat on an ultrasound. Yes, Freeborn's mission is simple. Save lives, save souls. Um, our, our job, our desire is to bring many to the saving knowledge of Christ Jesus and to help win many hearts, um, many women, that they may choose life. I actually was a nurse starting in the pro-life um, work. I was in California, which is probably one of the uh, most horrendous when it comes to abortion, more than 120,000 abortions in L.A. County annually. And that's probably underreported. And I used to actually perform one of these ultrasound scans. And uh, one of my first young ladies came there. She was called um, by the uh, actually the hospital. She was told that she was unfit to be a mom. So she was sent over to the clinic thinking that she was going to get an abortion, but she instead, by divine appointment, ended up in a preborn clinic in Los Angeles. I happen to have the privilege of actually ministering to her and educating her on what abortion is and what it truly does to the body. And then 
gave her a free ultrasound. That moment, she heard the heartbeat, and she literally said the words, I cannot kill this baby. It's my baby. She began to identify um, with the child on the ultrasound that moment, and it also broke her heart, right? And now I had this um, opportunity to share the truth, not only about the life in the womb, but how much Jesus loved her. And at that same visit, she actually gave her life to Christ and chose life for her baby, and we're still friends. The mm. power of every ultrasound that we are trying to help, you know, raise 4,500 of these ultrasounds uh, today that many people can take part of. Um, and they can call in and do it now, pound 250, and share keywords, baby, or visit AFR.net, preborn.com to make more of these moments happen. Yeah, and what an amazing uh, testimonial for preborn and just for the truth about life and uh, how God creates. And the goal is to sponsor uh, 4,500 ultrasounds. And if we get even above that, then praise God. Or that shouldn't just be the threshold. We should strive to go uh, even further. And one of the things, Roxy, that you just mentioned uh, was that this mother was so impacted by the truth about how heinous the abortion procedure is and to see her baby on an ultrasound that she actually used those words, I I don't want to kill uh, my baby. I mean, the the left and the pro-abortion advocates um, who are who are pro-death would like to lie to mothers to say this is a simple procedure, this is a clump of cells. I mean, they have all of these these lies to make it sound like this is such an easy option with zero uh, bodily repercussions, with zero psychological repercussions, spiritual repercussions. Um, so, how can Anyone listening, if they know uh, a young uh, mother, you know, who has an, an unplanned pregnancy, um, how can they articulate the truth about what a, an abortion actually is? There, there's a few ways you can go about that. I, and I just want to share this. It, if you want to learn more, you can shoot an email at info at preborn.com. If you actually encounter women that are in crisis and need immediate help, please feel free to call, uh, visit our um, website, preborn.com, because we have people that can answer those questions and those calls, and we can direct them to a crisis line that can help immediately um, attend to the need of a woman. But more importantly, it all begins and ends in love. We are able to speak truth compassionately in love to this woman. We have to... Uh, we have to understand that this is an actual medical issue. It is a, a spiritual issue, but it's also a medical issue. And there's so much things about abortion that actually disrupts the, the functionality of the woman's body, right? And that's what we actually tell them. It, it When they come into that ultrasound room, we actually talk about the adverse effects of the abortion pill, the adverse effects of surgical abortion, the signs and the symptoms of that, what they need to look for. Um, we actually do holistic care to every woman that walks into the clinic um, that is seeking for abortion. Ultrasound is part uh, and is only one part of the component of that visit during her care. Um, we talk about what the abortion pill does to your body. That's a good place to start, um, what it is and what it's not. It's not as safe as taking a Tylenol. Tylenol does not stop a heartbeat, right? And then that's where we show 
on an ultrasound, look, this is your heartbeat, permitting the mom to hear her heartbeat. This is your baby's heartbeat. It's faster. It's different. So there's so much, so much potential that happens in that moment where we're in that 30 minutes scanning the woman, educating her, and showing her yet once again to the medical level that that child in her womb is a different entity altogether. It's a different life that is growing inside of her. That's the power of these ultrasounds that we are trying to help underwrite here over the next few days so that we could reach many, many women um, for the gospel and for the message of life. And so well said, um, Roxy. And if you want to be a part of uh, this amazing sponsorship of 4,500 ultrasound sessions to rescue thousands of babies, you can go to preborn.com. You can go to AFR.net. You can dial uh, pound 250 and say the keyword baby. And we so appreciate all of our AFR listeners who have helped support life and uh, who have helped all of these mothers truly see that this is a miracle of life. And regardless of how this life came into existence and under the circumstances, every life is a gift from God and has inherent dignity and worth. And um, this is just an amazing series of testimonials, uh, Roxy. And, um, you know, for the people who are uh, maybe listening and they're considering uh, this type of sponsorship, what are they looking at in terms of a commitment and what does uh, their financial support provide? Yeah, so there's multiple ways everyone can actually join in 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 this fight for life. If you want to underwrite a singular ultrasound, you can do $28 a month or five ultrasound sessions for $140 monthly. That gives a mom an opportunity to see her baby in an ultrasound, hear a baby's heartbeat, which doubles the chance of her choosing life. That's $28 monthly or $140 monthly for five ultrasounds. We are also encouraging people, if the Lord has blessed you with resources, you want to invest it in the kingdom, and you want to see many lives change for the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are doing Days of Life for $5,000, enables us to help clinics operate and actually run this clinic so we can see and help multiple women choose life. Hear the message of the gospel. Be cared for. We have extended services in these clinics like diapers, wipes, whatever they need that they could actually help care for this baby long before the moment of crisis. And when she's made that decision, she still needs support. So there's also that opportunity, $5,000 for a day of life. And if the Lord stirs your heart, you have resources. An ultrasound is very powerful. An ultrasound machine, a leadership gift for $15,000 allows us to place brand new ultrasound machines across the nation so that thousands of women that walk into the clinic have the privilege of actually seeing their baby for the first time, hearing the heartbeat. And it also comes with training that we help clinics across the nation. We place this brand new ultrasound machine, provide strategic planning so that the machines are actually maximized to its full potential and ministries grow along with your leadership investment. So that's 28 and $140 um, monthly that you could um, underwrite 
$5,000 for a day of life or $15,000 for an ultrasound machine. There's a little bit of everything for everybody that wants to, to really invest in this fight for life. Um, AFR.net or preborn.com. You could also call pound 250 and just say keyword baby. And I'm speaking with Roxy Lamorgis, who is uh, the executive director of Preborn. And so often, Roxy, um, our listeners are asking, you know, how do we get involved in the fight for life and how do we continue to protect the pro-life um, agenda and move it forward um, into uh, the future when we see everything that is going on in civil government today? And obviously, we need to participate in civil government by voting, by being um, good citizens, by being part of our church communities, um, all of these things. But pro-life, and the the message, if all we're doing is looking at what Washington isn't doing or we're looking at uh, potential fights on the state level that maybe aren't being advanced, this is a way that listeners can truly get involved in the fight for life and make an actual difference. And this is something that should concern every Christian. And so in just the last um, couple of minutes I have with you, Roxy, um, what would you say in terms of why it's so important to get involved in something like this when we're seeing how the fight for life has kind of gone down to the state level and we're looking at states like California or even my former home state of Colorado that allows abortion up until the moment of birth. I mean, it can be so discouraging to look at how we're losing some of these battles, but instead of just looking at the legislative side or the civil government side, we can look at actively engaging uh, with mothers right now in terms of ultrasounds and genuinely saving lives? Yes. Uh, my encouragement is this, that at the end of all the arguments, the back and forth, all the legislation, everything may change, but the mission remains the same. It is about reaching one woman and saving one life at a time. We cannot get lost in all these things and miss that she is the one, in fact, in the middle of the crosshairs of this battle, that we could really legitimately every day touch thousands of women's lives, practically be with her in her moment of crisis. Our job is to always remember that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. And we have to remember that this is the heart of our father. It's a heart of our father that this woman may come to know Jesus. And this, this baby will experience life to enter into the fullness of that which he created this child from mm. the mother's A- womb. And it's Amen our to job that. as believers to make it happen. Absolutely. Well, Roxy, thank you so much. And for listeners, you can go to preborn.com, you can go to AFR.net, or you can dial pound uh, 250 and say the keyword baby. So we are all out of time this morning for Jenna Ellis in the morning. And you've heard Copper and Todd in the background who are voicing their support this morning for pro-life issues. And you can always reach me and my team, Jenna at AFR.net. And I'll see you tomorrow morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. 
I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.